Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Next week. So if uh, you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, no, 24. And like I said, we're closing the way. Uh, we've been walking with Jesus last week was Easter. He is risen. Um, okay, now what becomes kind of the question. So we're going to see two things today, and these are the two things I want you to see. One is Jesus, um, having risen from the dead, is going to establish his reality, establish his reality, and then he's going to assign our responsibility in it. He's establishing reality and then assigning responsibility. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, I'll believe it when I see it? I've, I've uttered this phrase before, I'll believe it when I see it. Nothing brings that uh, phrase to mind like uh, the magician David Blaine. Anybody, by show of hands, anybody ever seen David Blaine on the television? He, he's kind of one of these illusionist magicians. He's a little creepy, a little dark, um, not sure if he's got it all together, and then he does some trick, and you go, okay, so I saw it, and now I really don't believe it. Like, I don't know what I just saw. I don't know how I saw it. The first time I saw him was uh, probably the late 90s, early 2000s. He had a street magic special on ABC, and I remember just watching the television going, I don't think that's Jesus, but I bet this is the kind of stuff Jesus did. Like, this was incredible to me. I was watching it, and I just sort of lost my mind because I couldn't figure out what was happening or how it was happening. And, and so what happened is as he got more successful, the skeptic among us, they, they said, you know what, he, this person is planted, or this person wasn't on the trick, or let me show you how he does that. And he was doing weird things that just don't make any sense. And so what David Blaine started doing as a magician, he, he realized he had a credibility problem because no one quite believed that he was doing what he said he was doing. So he started basically dropping by celebrities' houses and wherever they were and then doing tricks for them. And so uh, the Lakers, David Beckham, Kanye, Will Smith, the guys from Breaking Bad, who I don't know their name, but they're there. Um, He just starts showing up at celebrities' houses and doing the same sort of tricks he did with random strangers on the street, but he's doing it for celebrities. And this was genius. Because even though we don't know celebrities, we kind of feel like we know them. We feel like they're, they're like people in our lives. And so as they have the same reaction of some random person in the street, we go, well, they wouldn't be lying about this. We know them. And so what happens is he starts performing tricks for all these people, sticking ice picks through his hand, and just weird things. And their responses feel like our responses would be. So, at some point, he says, I'm going to take it to the next level, and he goes to um, Harrison Ford's house. If you don't know who Harrison Ford is, my family, my girls call him Indy Andy Jones. We haven't had the heart to tell him. It's not Indy Andy, but just, it's okay. Indy Andy Jones, Harrison Ford. Um, He goes to Harrison Ford's house. I'm just going to, let's just watch. It's going to get weird. I'm going to let you watch it. Think of any card in the deck. Great. Um, Hold the deck. You're thinking of a card? Do I know what card you're thinking of? Your card just left the deck just now. Look through the deck. Your card isn't there. Go ahead. Look. Yeah, it's not there. You won't see it there. No. It's nowhere. Here's what we'll do. Harrison, do me a favor. Grab, uh, 
Grab a piece of grab a piece of fruit for me, like a one that we can open up. Yeah, grab a piece of fruit. Go ahead, whatever. And is there? Can we can we cut this? Can we can we take a knife and put it right there? Yeah. Yeah. Can put it right here. Say your card out loud. Nine of hearts. Nine of hearts. Yeah. Can you turn this sideways? Yeah, so I can cut right through it. Let me not hit your hand. Let's do... Hold... Yeah. See, inside... See, there's... See how there's a card in the orange? No way! See how there's one card inside? Please remove it. Take it out. Go ahead, pull it out. Open it up, Harrison. No, no, that's just crazy. There, I turned myself off. Be thinking of a card. What I'd like you to do is turn your chair over and start cutting it open. What? You watch that, and your mind starts, I mean, I mean, what your mind starts doing is going, okay, i, I got to figure out how this happened. So um, someone was planted, like the producers came in early, and then they, if you look in all the different pieces, the, the apple and the orange, the bananas, you look in the, everything has, everything has cards in it in that whole house. People got there before, and everything had a card. But how did he know which card? How did he know the right card? How did he not tell Harrison Ford what card it was, but it was the one? And you start doing the math, and, and you go, oh. You know what? I'll believe it when I see it. Maybe let him come to my house. Then we'll see. And if David Blaine shows up at your house, here's what you do. You go into your kitchen and you cut open everything you have. You just cut it all open. Be like, what now? And see what he's going to do. And then he'll be like, look in your back pocket and it'll be your card. Um, This is where, the point of this, this is where we find Jesus with his followers. This is the, the kind of like, wait a minute. We find Jesus with his followers in this spot. They're firmly in the, I'll believe it when I see it mode. Luke 24. They had just heard that he was risen, and it says they didn't waste a minute. They were up on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their friends gathered together talking away. It really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him, and the two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke bread. And while they were saying this, Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be with you. And they thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. And he continued, don't be upset. Don't let all these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. And he said this, and he showed them his hands and his feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. And so he asked, do you have any food here? Which seems like he's about to tell them to start cutting things in half, right? But he didn't. Do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish that they had cooked, and he took it, and he ate it right before their eyes. So do you see what's happening here? Jesus basically says, grab a piece of fruit, one that we can open up. Because they're going, I don't know if I believe. I don't think this couldn't be. Maybe my mind's playing tricks on me, and he goes, watch. Hand me some fish. They're seeing ghosts. They feel like this can't quite be real. And Jesus invites them to touch his flesh. He literally wants to grab physical things, ingest physical things to help them understand that he is a physical thing. What's he doing? He's establishing 
reality. And this is so important. We usually get to resurrection, we're like, awesome, next book. This part of the scripture is the part of the scripture. I say that a lot, but this is the most important piece if we're tracking it home, because something really important happens. What if he had just risen and then floated around like a mist or didn't appear to anyone or didn't make his reality known to anyone? What if we thought he rose, but no one was a witness to it? Then, then what would their witness be? Then, then the disciples would have gone, well, he was dead, but then the tomb was empty, and we couldn't find him, but we're pretty sure he's alive, or was, or maybe we don't know. And that's not a really compelling testimony, is it? That's a, you lost the guy, but how would we believe anything else? So unless Jesus is alive, unless Jesus is full-on alive, flesh and blood alive, there's no way that anyone can say that he conquered death or he overcame the grave. There's no one can say it unless he truly appears in the flesh alive. So if he didn't rise from death, then none of this actually would matter. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be talking about it because this wouldn't matter. But if he did rise from the grave, if he was physically resurrected, then that changes everything. That's the faith that we build our lives on, is the idea not only that this this sacrificial Savior went to the cross to die for our sins, but when the tomb was opened and he wasn't found, it wasn't just that he had disappeared. He wasn't just a mist on the horizon. He came back real in the flesh to witnesses. He wanted to establish his physical reality, and that's everything. John even tells us there's one disciple missing as Jesus made his appearance. John chapter 20 says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, or T. Diddy, was one of the twelve. You got that. I didn't think you were going to get that. It was not, uh, he, was not, he was one of the twelve, but was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They tell Thomas, we've seen him. But he said to them, unless I, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's why it goes by doubting Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas is having an I'll believe it when I see it moment, isn't he? He's having an I'll believe it when I see it. And Jesus goes, cool, I got you. Jesus takes the time to establish physical reality here. I am real. I am risen. But he's also making another point, isn't he? He says, there will be people who don't get this chance. There will be people who don't get to touch my wounds, to put their hand in my side. There will be people who are going to say, I'll believe it when I see it, but I'm not going to be there with them, who don't have the blessing of feeding me fish. So what is Jesus doing? I think it's impossible to catch the perfect metaphor here. I tried. I was coming up with all these different, like, what is Jesus doing? It's kind of like the beginning of a political campaign, but it's not that at all. Or it's kind of like He's becoming a brand ambassador, an Instagram influencer, but it's, it's not that at all. And then it, it, it kind of hit me, and I think this is as close as we're going to get. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is like Brownie Wise. If you've never heard of Brownie Wise, this is Brownie Wise. Brownie Wise, uh, in order to know who she is, I have to introduce you to a guy named Earl Tupper. Earl Tupper invented containers, plastic containers for storing food in the 1940s. Earl Tupper. Ever heard of Tupperware? Okay. But sales for Tupperware 
Earl Tupper's great invention, didn't take off until Brownie Wise got involved. Brownie Wise had this idea that people needed to touch it, to feel it, to see it, to watch it, to hold it, to open it and hear its patented burp. That's how you know it's Tupperware. People needed, they needed that in order to get on board. And so she created a thing in the early 1950s where she said housewives will sell this to their friends and they'll do it in their own house and all we have to do, and she came up with this whole idea and they called them Tupperware parties. And if you are of a certain vintage here, you have been to a Tupperware party. That's what they looked like. I got a lot of comments. We're going to keep moving. And what happened? Because Brownie Wise said people need to touch it, to feel it, to know it, to understand it. They need to hold it. Then they'll buy it. People started to buy in. Tupperware seems like the kind of thing like, okay, well, I'm sure there's a nice little business for somebody. In, in 2013, 2014, they had their best uh, fiscal year ever. They sold $2.6 billion of Tupperware. In the age of the internet... People are still selling Tupperware. In the pandemic, in 2021, they sold $1.6 billion of Tupperware. None of the people who bought Tupperware in 2021 knew Earl Tupper at all. His invention, his creation, his idea, none of them knew him. But they were all somehow witnesses to his creation, weren't they? You don't have to know Earl Tupper to know the, the creation that he brought forward. Do you see where we're going? Jesus is not plastic food storage, but you get the picture. He's spending time with his friends and disciples so they might see him and touch him and understand, so they may begin to understand his reality and the truth of his resurrection. Because the idea is that they would then gather other people together. They would have their Tupperware parties for Jesus. They would gather other people together and say, no, no, you don't understand. I felt it. I touched. I saw him. I was there with him. And on it goes. So in his time with his followers, Jesus is not only establishing his reality, but he's assigning our responsibility. Pick it back up in verse 44. It said, then he said, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms have to be fulfilled. So Jesus fulfilled partially what was written about him, and there were more things that had to be fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding to the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. And he said, you can see now how it's written that the Messiah suffers rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations, starting from here, from Jerusalem. You are the first to hear it and see it. You are the witnesses. What comes next is very important, he says. Jesus says, I'm sending what my father promised to you, so you stay here in the city until he arrives, until you're equipped with power from on high. He then led them out of the city over to Bethany, and raising his hands, he blessed them, and while blessing them, he made his exit being carried up to heaven. They were on their knees, worshiping him. And they returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy, and they spent all their time on the temple, praising God. Yes, amen. Jesus says some important things there. As he's leaving, he's preparing to leave them, he says a couple important things. One is, he is the fulfillment of the law. And through him, the law is fulfilled. Through him, there's a new covenant made. He's beginning to tell them, hey, the things you used to be about, you don't have to be about anymore. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it and to establish it anew. And so when we see Jesus, the law is kind of, it's like through a prism. Through Jesus, the law is back there, and we now see the law through the prism of Jesus, and it's new. Christians get tripped up on this. We end up trying to become more Jewish or law-abiding when we get into the Scripture. We go, well, I got to go follow all those old laws. When the new covenant in Jesus is actually inviting us to be more like Jesus, 
not to be more law-abiding, but to be more grace-abiding. Paul tells the church at Galatia this. He says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian. It was like the overseer. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Jesus has fulfilled, replaced, and now we see the law through him. He is the primary. So he says there's no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free. We're a united body in Jesus. So we don't want to get tripped up on this idea that we need to kind of like go back and how 641 different things I got to follow and I can't eat this on this day. And I got to, um, was your beef ceremonially uh, bled out before it went to the kosher butcher? Like we don't have to follow these things, but Jesus is the new and better law. Jesus is the law through which we live. That's part one. Part two is, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. He's basically saying, I'm leaving you here and you're the new brownie wise. You've got to rally people to the vision of the founder. You have to show off the incredible qualities, the beauty and the grace and the mercy and the salvation. It's your job now to open the eyes of a world born blind to the hope that's only in Jesus. Jesus is leaving them behind and he goes, hey, it's your job now. And I've given you all that you need. I've laid it out all before you. You've touched, you've seen, you are the witnesses. So what I think is so beautiful is if we kind of pull that forward, you are the descendants of those who touched his wounds. You are the descendants of those who sat with him in those days. Think about it. Like there isn't a Tupperware party today that isn't descended from Brownie Wise's first Tupperware party. And even though you don't know her, it is from her original idea that got changed and tweaked and new and then this and then that. From that original idea, from that original person, from Earl Tupper and Brownie Wise sitting in a conference room all the way to today, that party that you might get invited to next week. By the way, I started selling Tupperware. I'm going to invite you. No, I'm just the, the party you're going to get invited to, it's all the way, it's tied back all the way to them. And in some way, you can't deny the connection there. It's real. Someone showed someone who showed someone who showed someone who showed someone who somewhere down the line learned it from Brownie Wise herself. She knew Earl Tupper. You didn't. So you heard about Jesus. You encountered the person of Jesus. Maybe you gave your life to follow Jesus because someone who told someone who told someone who told someone who told someone down the line heard it from Thomas or Nathaniel, or Peter, or Joanna, or James, or Mary, or Matthew. You're in the lineage of the original. You are part of the original. You are a thread pulled from the original people who said, we'll believe it when we see it. And Jesus said, awesome, let me show you. There's no greater joy than seeing that lineage then grow. And it's not something we need to be afraid of or scared of or somehow like ashamed of, that, that he's called us to be witnesses of his in the world. And sometimes we get a little weird about that. We're like, eh, you know, let people believe what they want to believe. Yes, sure. You know, and I don't really want to push my faith on anybody. Okay, pushing, different. But he says, you will be my witnesses. Like if this is a life-changing thing, you need to tell people about it. And you stand on the shoulders of people who stand on the shoulders of people who stand on the shoulders of people who touched the risen Jesus. You're not walking in without that history. You're not walking in without that lineage. You're not walking in without that, that credibility. You are a person who somewhere down the line got it from someone who was with Jesus. 
That's the power of this scene that we start to pick up. That these moments set the stage for your own moments to come. So notice, before we close, notice. Jesus says something really specific, though. He says, wait. He uses other words, but he says, essentially, wait for the Holy Spirit. There's one the Father's going to send who's, who's going to be power. Wait until you have power from on high. You're going to be my witnesses, but wait until you have this power. Until you're equipped. Jesus is telling us that without the Holy Spirit, we're ill-equipped to do the work to be the ambassadors. And this is important. Why? Jesus says in John 6, no one comes to the Father, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. The word there in the scripture is literally means to drag someone. Draw, drag would be it. No one comes to me unless the Father drags them in. It's a one-sided, the verb is a one-sided relationship. It isn't two people like shaking hands and agreeing to walk down a journey together. It's someone walking down the street and you get grabbed by the collar and dragged into another scenario. That's the word he uses. It's only used one other time. Both times, same idea, drag. God draws us in. Jesus is fully God, draws us in. When Jesus departs, he sends the Spirit, fully God, who now does the work of dragging hearts into the kingdom. And so you and I, if we're not careful, we hear this idea that we're to go out and be witnesses, and then we come up with our great schemes and our great ideas, and we do it in our own power, and we wonder why it's so ineffective. We wonder why no one listens. We wonder why this isn't working. We wonder why it feels a little off to us. And what Jesus said is, don't go doing these things without the power of the Spirit leading you, without the power of the Spirit working through you. We need the Spirit if we're going to be effective at all, because we aren't the power source. At the end of the day, it comes back to the idea that there's a power source involved here, that someone is doing the drawing, that God is doing the dragging of people into the kingdom. Hey, I want you and I, you can't stop me, I'm God. I'm pulling you in. And he says, I want you to be my witnesses, to participate in the ongoing witness of what's happened here in Jerusalem. But wait until you have the power source to do it right. Because what we don't need is a bunch of people out there on their own power and their own strategy and their own ideas. He says, trust the Spirit. Lean in. The idea like God is the power plant here, and we're the conduit coming from it. And when we think that we're the center of that that kind of relationship, it goes sideways on us. So we need to daily, if we read into what Jesus is saying, be committed to the Spirit, submitted to the Spirit. We need to wake up and let our prayer be clear. Jesus, we are saved only in you, and Spirit, we then submit to you. So bring your power to me that I might help shape this place around me, that I might be a participant in the whole on earth as it is in heaven thing. So bring it through me and use me and direct me and guide me. And this is important because when we hear that we're to be witnesses, one of the things we immediately get, and a lot of people get this, there's no shame in this, when I, if I told you right now you need to invite one person to, to know Jesus this week, that was the big thing. That's your application. You have to tell one person they're a sinner and they're lost and they need to know Jesus. And you'd go, oh boy. First, about 4% of you would do it. Second, the 4% of you who would do it, mostly you would get rejected. Everybody else would think that kind of doesn't feel like what we're supposed to do. The reason we feel that way is because we receive that in and of our flesh. I want you to go do a thing. Well, yeah, you're going to fail. And it's going to be awkward, and the relationship's going to be weird then from there on out. 
But if the challenge is submit to the Spirit in your life, wake up every morning and go, Holy Spirit, I want to submit to you and I want you to work through me and use me and open my eyes to spiritual opportunities. I want to be a conduit from your power and your kingdom into this fallen world. That's a whole different thing. There's a confidence there that isn't there when I say you need to go do a thing. It's like saying I want you to compete in the long jump in the Olympics and you can do it on your own and fail miserably in front of a worldwide audience because you're not long jumpers. Or I'm going to give you this rocket pack. I'm going to put rocket boosters on you and no one's even going to see them. And then you can compete in the long jump. And then you just fly out of the stadium and you're like, that felt a lot better. You would have a different confidence if you went in with the rocket pack, wouldn't you? And that's the way this works is we think of evangelism. We think of being a witness. We think of sharing our faith and we always think of it in a fleshly way. And so we lack confidence and then we don't do it. But when we do it the way that Jesus instructed us to do it, hey, wait, guys, you need the helper. You need the spirit. You're ill-equipped, but I got the equipper. All of the sudden, our confidence isn't in us. Our confidence is in that Jesus said the spirit who draws people into the kingdom is in you and will work through you, and all you have to do is open yourself up to that. It changes everything. Because some will still say, I'll believe it when I see it. There will still be people who say that to you. You have people in your life and you wish they could come to faith. You wish they would believe in Jesus. You know that there were some some areas of their life, some problems or trials that could be so given hope and so given life if they would just find Jesus. And they're saying, you know what? I believe it when I see it. Jesus is saying, you are what they need to see. In a world born blind, you are are what they need to see. They need to see his life working through your life. They need to see his grace pouring out of your life. They need to see his love operating in your world. They need to see that because they see the world as presented by marketing executives and advertising agencies and cultures and celebrities, and they see that world. And so Jesus is assigning a responsibility that we would be a conduit for the Spirit who will open their eyes to see what is real and what is true. so that they might begin to view the world as it really is. With a risen king who conquered death and offers life to all who would believe. The thing we celebrate on Easter, that feeling we get on Easter weekend when we come in here and it's a packed house and we got, man, this is incredible. All these people believe like I do. They have the story that I have. On some level, we all got rescued by this Jesus and we believe it. Jesus says, now the assignment is this. Begin to develop a burden for those who weren't here. Not that I don't care where they go to church. Begin to develop a burden for those who didn't celebrate on Sunday. Who don't know what resurrection sounds like. Who don't have the hope of eternity. Who don't know. Begin to develop a burden for them. And then every day invite the Spirit into your life to work through your life so that they might, through you and your faithful submission to God's work in your life, that they might have a chance to know what's true and what's real. And if they say, I'll believe it when I see it, your answer can be, I'm not going anywhere. Keep watching. What we see in a risen Jesus before he ascends into heaven is he is establishing a reality for us to live in, and then he's giving us a responsibility as we live in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is... uh, 
it feels to me a heavy climax on the story, this, this excitement in, in your resurrection, the offer of life. It's on one hand, everything. And on the other hand, if we're not careful, Father, I know I feel it at times, it feels like pressure now. That we have to make something of what you've done. And yet, uh, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, first me and then all the hearts in the room, that you would relieve from us the pressure. That we're, we're not given a responsibility so as to feel the burden and the, and the, the pressure of, of making you known. But Lord, we are to open ourselves up to your spirit. So Father, um, teach us how to do that. Help us create space in the morning that we might start our day on you, that we may open ourselves up to you. Be with us in a real and tangible way so that as we practice this submission and as we open ourselves up to your power in our lives, God, I pray that, that we would not only feel that power, but we would feel your presence. And then open our eyes to those around us who don't yet celebrate, who don't yet know you. Father, remind us what a blessing it is to live with eternal eyes. And as we feel that lift of people that have been set free, of people that have been rescued, of people that are witnesses, that are in the lineage of those who have seen and touched you. God, inspire us to share your goodness. Father, thank you for Jesus, for our salvation in him, and the holy responsibility that we get to carry out alongside you. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.